Hey, Masonic Light fans. Thanks for tuning in to episode 64. We have a special guest, Police Chief Bill Harvey from Effort of Pennsylvania and Effort of Lodge number 665. But first, we have a couple announcements. If you haven't had a chance to listen to episode 63 with the right worshipful Grandmaster of Pennsylvania, S. Eugene Herrett, uh, go back through the Masonic Light podcast library, and it's the last episode before this one. Also, our friends at the Scottish Rite of the Northern Masonic Jurisdiction on November 27th are having their Giving Tuesday Telethon supporting multiple charities of the Scottish Rite. Our good friend and former guest Joey Doherty will be performing that evening. So visit scottishritenmj.org slash givingtuesday for details. And of course, we'll have that link in the notes. Another great event coming up is the Holiday Happenings of the Valley of Reading, Pennsylvania of the Scottish Rite. It's a two-weekend event, Saturday, December 1st, Sunday, December 2nd, and Saturday, December 8th in the evening, and Sunday, December 9th. But if you remember, just a year ago, Masonic Lake Podcast was on site, and we actually recorded a show there with a handful of guests from the Valley of Reading. So we'll be there again on Saturday, December 1st. Watch the Facebook page for the times and how you can come join us on the show. And uh, we're really looking forward to that with our friend Scott Helm again. Also, December 8th, which happens to be the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania Quarterly right here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We also have in the evening uh, our host, Pete Ruggieri, and his friends host the 2018 Lancaster Santa Stumble. If you visit Eventbrite and search Santa Stumble, you'll see uh, links for tickets from 10 to $35. This fundraiser has raised over $60,000 for the mounted police and the canine units, and it promises to be a good evening. And lastly, we want to give a big shout out to all of our supporters for helping us make the show what it is today. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So if you've yet to donate and you'd like to, you can certainly visit our webpage, MasonicLight.com. But brand new, we have just launched our Patreon site. And of course, we'll have those links available in the show notes on our Facebook page and MasonicLight.com. And we'll be working on some more rewards and programs for our Patreon. Uh, But that's all I have. And here's episode number 64 with Bill Harvey, police chief of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and member of Ephrata Lodge number 665. From the new recording lair located deep beneath the wine and spirit store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Masonic Light Podcast, episode 64. 64. 64. Um, Feels like we were just here. It does, doesn't it? It was grand, too. Yes. (laughs) So, episode 64. um, And we have a special guest this evening. Uh, Do you go by Bill or William or Chief? Just Bill, it will work for me. All right, we got uh, Chief Bill, um, Chief of the Effort of Police Department. Um, he's the one that watches us pull out of the parking lot when we leave to make sure everything's uh, on the straight and narrow. And You're uh, only allowed to hit two cars on your way out of the parking lot. Exactly. So we'll get a little bit more into, into Brother Bill, but first let's go around the room like we always do and talk about what we've been up to. Jason. So this show, we're recording a little early because of... Uh, 
the way the schedule worked out with the Grandmaster. So we're recording about 20 days early. So in theory, I would have had my Blue Lodge meetings. Well, just talk about what you've actually done in the past four days. In the past four days. What have I done? Oh, it was my birthday. I was doing birthday stuff. Okay, you went to Grotto? I did go to Grotto on my actual birthday. Big birthday party. Academy of Masonic Knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's really it. Larry fell asleep. Larry fell asleep. (laughs) No, Larry was in pain. Give Larry a break. I was in pain. (laughs) Seriously. Oh, I didn't know you were in pain. No, back back again, sciatica. Uh, well, you were killing us, too. So, yeah. uh, Jack, well, you've done pretty much the same things. I think I think really we've all done pretty much the same thing this past week. I didn't go to the academy. Well, I sh- slept at home. Shame on you. It was uh, it was awesome. But the uh, the speakers were great. In fact, uh, I think we're going to queue up one or two, uh, one or both of them for future episodes because they were uh, they were well spoken and, mm-hmm. and really interesting. Larry, uh, unfortunately, I am way familiar with your sciatica problem, so my my condolences on that because I know exactly what that's about. But uh, but it was a great day, and then um, and then Grotto the other night. We uh, I think we had a relatively decent meeting at Grotto, um, and we're looking forward to the upcoming year. <laughs> Chief Bill, please, uh, please yeah, raise us up back. a little bit. Bring raise us, back, us up please. a little bit. Have you done anything Masonically uh, in the past no, couple weeks? No. Over the last weekend, I had to go to the inner bowels of Central Virginia to go visit my blue-haired Sainted Irish mother. <laughs> so uh, I was taking care of my mother, which is what everybody should do. You're here. Very Masonic. Larry? I did Grotto. I did a... Uh, Get together with the Azim Grotto members from New York, which was a fun night on Saturday night after the Academy. And uh, it it was overall, it was a very busy weekend. And here we are again tonight. So it's been like four days in a row. Yeah. So the the Grotto event, every year around Halloween, we do a costumed event. And a lot of the guys from New York always come up or down. This year, all of the New York prophets were all dressed like a Star Trek Next Generation away Landing team. party, yeah. Yeah, so they all had their Star Trek Next Generation shirts on, uh, except for Victor had a bathrobe. Um, <laughs> With a Star Trek emblem on it. Yes, because yeah. he said they, you know, they got him out of the shower. That's what he, he said. <laughs> I believe that. Um, that and their fezzes, and it, it was mm. a good time. Yeah, it was. Good time was had by all. All right, I think that's about all I had, so let's take a quick break. K-Dog? Oh, K-Dog. K-Dog, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. K-Dog's K-Dog. here. Well, oh, I uh, didn't know you had a microphone. I'm sorry. Yeah, I have one. Yeah, that's what this is here. Um... <laughs> What I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Got that big black pointy thing like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Bad habits are hard to break. Anyhow, um, Academy of Solid Knowledge on Saturday. Enjoyed that. Uh, the second speaker I thought was good, but it, he should have went first because after lunch he was kind of hard to deal with, you know. But uh, Sunday, <laughs> Re- reason Sunday, being, he spoke very fast. Yeah, I, I had a hard time keeping up yeah, with it. I am yeah. sixty-nine, but um, <laughs> Sunday all day I was in Gettysburg for the uh, that degree. That was awesome. Oh yeah, that was that was the awesome. low veil. Yes, the rescheduled low veil. Yeah, but I tell you, the food was good. They had. Huge steaks, coarse potatoes and uh, uh, coleslaw. I couldn't eat it as much as I wanted, but they had these smothered onions were good. Um, the right worshipful grandmaster, he was in rare form. All right, uh, Everyone did an excellent, excellent job. And I, I can tell you, uh, kudos to the uh, uh, guy in the East. He, he did a performance with a southern draw. 
Okay, because he was he right. Was, there was yeah, some concern about yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, he was excellent. He didn't miss a beat. Cool. He didn't miss a beat. It was very impressive. Um, it was well, cold. What would a southern drawl sound like to you? Not <laughs> <laughs> like what that hill now. That's what I think. <laughs> so, with one of you educated brothers, uh, explain to our listeners, meaning me, because I don't know what it means. Uh, low veil. Is there a mean? What's the meaning of the low veil? Well, there's, um, yeah, um, uh, it's it's an outdoor meeting. Um, it's not on a mountaintop. It's in a it's in a, it's in a, a valley. A valley. A valley. Okay. A valley. A valley is a valley. Okay. Um, it's it's usually done a little earlier in the day than what theirs was, but th- that's that's the the crux of it. Is it's an outdoor meeting, sort of, not in a cave. But it was excellent, 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 excellent. Uh, I, I'm glad uh, I went. I was freezing. Somebody gave me a coat to put on, which was nice. Typical brothers looking out for each other. Yeah, I heard it got very cold very quick. It did, and the wind was cutting across that field. And mm-hmm. the gentleman who served as senior warden was one of our uh, donors, Brother Tim Detman. Yes, oh, so very nice. we missed him at Grotto. Yeah. 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 Larry, anything else? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. All right, yeah, so that's it. I had Grotto, and I was busy with some personal personal stuff, and that's it. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk to Chief Bill of the Ephrata Police Department. Hey there, listeners. This is Pete, and I wanted to tell you about MasonicScarves.com. Masonic Scarves offers full-color, knitted soccer-style scarves, perfect for you to wear to lodge, out casually, or even to display in your home. I currently have in our lineup pretty much every Masonic body from Blue Lodge, York Rite, Scottish Rite, Grotto, Shrine. If you think about it, I probably have it. Are you a turtle? Well, you bet your sweet ass I have a scarf for that. So you can easily order online with a credit card, and I'll generally have your scarf in the mail the next business day. Do you need an easy fundraiser for your lodge or organization? I can have a custom scarf design delivered to you in about four weeks as long as you order a minimum of 50 pieces. I can help you with the artwork, and you'll have an original item that you can sell or hand out as a gift for visitors or past masters. Visit MasonicScarves.com or drop me an email at info at MasonicScarves, and I'll be glad to help you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, We'd like to thank our sponsors. Uh, We've got the historic Smithton Inn and Weathered Vineyards, George J. Grove and Son, DNS Cigar Lounge, and who else? Masonic Scarves, Red Serpent. Masonic Scarves, Red Serpent, Intermezzo by Stephanie. Oh, by the way, my wife wants some of that healthy chocolate next time. So if you have some, I'll... I can make that happen. Unless you have some in your trunk. We'll actually be at the Bonton. Is that the one that's empty at the mall? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're setting up a maker's market there all through December. So nice. there's going to be bourbon there. There's going to be sweet. N- no maker's market. Market, right? Ah. Small oh. mark. So yeah. So come by um, and pick up some intermezzo by Stephanie. All right. Lovely chocolate. So so Jack, as the uh, the local hosts, I'm going to let you drive the interview this evening. Uh oh. Really? Well, you know, you know, oh, you not, know, Chief I'm Harvey the best. So I, I think you can do the best. Uh, warm up for him so there is no warming up for chief harvey because he will just grab this thing and go wherever the hell he's going to go but bill welcome to the show thank you um you're starting to see a little bit of the ridiculousness that goes on here so um you joined our lodge what about eight nine years ago 
I came to Alfreda back in 2009, okay. and I did my uh, transfer over here. Now, I still keep my uh, primary lodge, Vacation Lodge 452 in Savannah, Georgia. This is my, I call it my supplemental lodge. Uh, it'll never be my mother lodge. Sloppy seconds, Sarah's Ephrata. <laughs> nice. But, no, I'm, I'm a Savannian by, not by birth, but by heart. And so I always hold an affinity to them and also to the Valley of Savannah Scottish Rite. So tell us a little bit about how you came to Ephrata. Well, I became a chief of police. Uh, years ago, I was working in the city of Savannah as a police officer there, and I had a couple of search committees reach out and ask me, do I want to be a chief of police? And I'm like, well, somebody sees something in me, and so maybe I can do this. So I put in for a few jobs. A couple of them were offered to me, didn't feel right, and finally I ended up in... Lebanon City, PA, which is west of here, uh, which is a, uh, it's a unique city. <laughs> so, uh, so I became a chief of police there from 2002 to 2009. They gave me a buyout. One day they looked at me and said, buy, you're out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I had put in for a couple other jobs knowing there was pending doom coming uh, because it had been a political uh, changes, shall we call it? And, and, and you were not you were not uh, acquiescent in in voicing your opinion about political matters in the area. No, it'd be surprising. My handler taught me years ago. Both of my contracts and all of my political all of my contracts have a non political agreement. So if somebody would invite me to like a Republican event or a Democratic event or a Libertarian event or whatever, I said, nope, contract can't show up. So it has kept me as neutral, as based as I can be, which is where I think, you know, policing should be. It should not be subservient to one party or the other, but to serve all. Note, notice, if you will, Pete, that he mentioned the Libertarian Party. See, so he actually they, counts gone us. from 2 to 3%, so it's a win. It's good. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have some other <laughs> like-minded fellows in the room. I didn't say anybody agreed with you, but he just— Well, the fact that know, he even acknowledged I know, us, that that's impressed. a big thing. I was impressed. So anyway, uh, no, came here, and uh, I had two or three other offers, and it was just easier to move and stay within the state. And I said I'd be here for a few months till I found something more amenable, and uh, that was in 2009. Obviously, I'm amenable here. I haven't left yet. Seems, seems to work, and, uh, and I know the community loves to have you here, uh, if only to hear you talk. Um, but... <laughs> No, I do a couple of things which I think keeps them happy is, you know, here recently I've been teaching a lot of active shooter response, mm -hmm. uh, crime prevention for houses of worship. I do a lot of safety talks for seniors. And, you know, going out and meeting with the people, I always believe, you know, I, everybody looks at me and says, who's your boss, the mayor? No. I have how many thousand people, that's my bosses. Because what I try to do is give everybody the same service. That, And I tell my officers, if you, if you do not treat the citizens the same way you don't treat your mama, I don't want you working for me. Mm. And so we, it's my style of policing. So far, it has been working effectively, efficiently, and I think the people like it. So you mentioned two things I got to bring up because it, it happened this week, um, active shooter and houses of worship. Um, I, I know um, that there are people who listen to this show that know people uh, that were involved in the incident in Pittsburgh, and uh, just uh, please understand our... As, ir as irreverent as we are here right now, um, we are deeply respectful of, of what happened out there, and, and our hearts go out to those people. Um, and, and we hope that at 
someday that that we won't have to worry about this kind of stuff anymore. But uh, for the time being, we're very pleased that we have police that are uh, that are teaching people how to how to prepare and how to react. So, um, how how are, how are the uh, the houses of worship receptive? To these. At, at first, uh, I had a few that, you know, when I would, you know, give the presentation, a lot of them said, oh, I don't think I need to go, and then trained volunteers. And when I talked to a church and I said, do you have a group if something goes bad, something as simple as a slip and fall? Well, I'm sure somebody will know how to use first aid kit. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Do you have someone who's responsible enough to go show up, care, render, call it in, and you know, and pe- keep people safe and comfortable, and then get them back to normal. Can we do this? And a lot of people have found that they don't. I do vulnerability assessments for churches. I uh, just did one last week where I walked around at night. You do them in daytime and nighttime. You do them in the winter and the summer because the canopy of the trees goes away, sure. lighting goes away, at, you know, in a night such as that. And when you walk around, and you do these things. Uh, a lot of times, they feel it never happened. Well, on 6 October 2006, we had nickel mines that occurred here in this county. So when people say it never happened. Uh, yeah, it's already happened. So let's just drive on past that. Not counting, you know, several other shootings that have happened in this state. The uh, the thing of it is with the churches, they are a soft target. People go there for peace, and people don't think of it. Years ago, I have a, a colleague of mine, another organization I belong to, who, like most cops, always carried off duty. He was taking his child to church that night to go through rites of Christian, and uh, you know, going through the uh, joining the church and he didn't carry his weapon that night and that night uh it just and I've, i won't say where someone burst in and he was involved in an active shooter and he was unarmed uh he eventually got to the guy after several people had been shot you know wrestled a gun from him and but he still lives with that because he was not there to handle it the way he should have handled it and a lot of times people don't think about should people be there with a plan A or plan B when you go to a place for peace. And you should always have something. There, there always people, We've had several uh, church services in this area interrupted, usually by someone who had to counter something with the minister or to counter something with this religion or whatever like that. But it's something you've, we have to do now. It is our obligation to train them. You see, here's the, I call it the new normal. I write and publish, and I've written several articles on this what I call the new normal. Right now, most people, if you're involved in an active shooter event or what I call an active attack event because they're using edge weapons, gas, things of this nature, you've got to look at your grandchildren or your niece and nephew to say, what should we do? Because the adults have not been trained. That's why I'm trying to do is get the adults back to being adults. The last training, as I look wow, at you. good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the last training that you probably had was the same training that I had when I was in grade school when it was going to be an atomic attack, and we all had to put our head between our, our knees. I don't know if your butt repels nuclear radiation, but obviously <laughs> that's how we were taught. So we need to get beyond that and train our adults. Some butts are more effective at that than others. This is true. Because usually I ask people this, and this is how I start my uh, presentation. When was the last time you practiced a fire drill at your home with your family? And don't turn around. Nobody behind you is going to raise their hand. Mm -hmm. So you want to learn high-speed stuff. You're not doing the basics. So I take it from the basic necessities of what should we do as, you know, fathers, uh, uncles, 
grandfathers, whatever, to, you know, look over our family and then ramp it up from that. It's a great – I even gave it to the Lodge here, a miniature version mm -hmm. of it to the Lodge about mm -hmm. a year or so ago. But it's something – what I call the new normal, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, my wife's church has just had something like that in Lancaster City. And they also talked about and – I, and I foresee that we might need to do this soon for our youth organizations with um, – especially with all the stuff going on in the Catholic Church, so that everybody here that's a member, in my mind, is a responsible party that has to report something. So a lot of people here that might not just think, oh, I'm just a member of this organization. That, that, that's in place. It is in place for the people that go through the training with DMLAY. True. It's not in training for me, who's not a dad, who just shows up the lodge. Like, we all need to know whether it's a crime, a guy with a gun, a guy with a, you know, angry at something, to somebody with a kid. And that's something I can oh, go back to that. When we had 9-11, it was drilled in every citizen's mind. If you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. We wrote calls consistently. If you looked at, you know, calls for service and police agencies, they spiked. Mm -hmm. But also, too, because people were calling in. They didn't know where they saw a terrorist. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we were also solving crimes left and right. And even the bad guys were like, this is not a bad time to do something stupid. But now as we go along, people are not calling in any longer. And so I remind people, if you see something, say something. There's a phenomenon where most people now rather take out their cell phone and film it rather than call 911 because they assume he's going to do it or he's going to do it. The problematic issue is nobody's doing it. We've had actual calls when we have showed up. Well, why did somebody call? Well, I thought you called. I thought you called. Or as most people panic and forget to hit send on their cell phone. It was a, one of the first things I learned at, at CPR class was if somebody goes down, you make eye contact with somebody standing, point directly at them and say, you, call the police right Correct. now. Call an ambulance right now. That was right. the first thing they taught us. Yeah, Absolutely. But One of the things you mentioned about going back to the bases, uh, when we look at our lodge, uh, the average age of our membership that attends, how many people in our lodge has uh, first aid CPR AED? That's a good question, and I would also add a portable extinguisher to that as well. Mm -hmm. Most people get a portable extinguisher, and when they have to actually, you know, you know, use it, they spray it like it's Freebreeze or something or another, and that's not the way it works. <laughs> uh, and you're seeing a lot of places now training. That. Just makes the flames smell better. That's, that's true. Yeah. It's true. Pull aim side to side. Pass system. What I always tell people to do, and it's, I, and I can give you the tips from my course. Number one is, as far as churches and organizations, first aid, CPR, AED, portable extinguisher, mm -hmm. that is something that's good group building. Right. And I also say for husbands and wives, because what always gets me, I will have a, a lady look at me. She says, well, my husband knows CPR. Why should I? Well, in case he clutches his chest. Oh, I said, <laughs> And I said, oh, that's right. He's got a big life insurance policy, and you can be the new rich widow. So, but the other thing, too, is this, and I'm going to cure everybody's shopping needs for right now. Uh, rarely do you see me in a coat and tie. I wear a uniform most all the time. And because I wear a uniform all the time, I can also, too, sport a hoodie and a sweatshirt with the best of them. I don't dress up. I don't like ties. So don't give me a tie. I'll wear a tie when you die because I'll have to go to your funeral. So I tell people, why are you giving ties to people? Why don't you give them a quality first aid kit, 
Mm-hmm. Why don't you give them a portable extinguisher or give everybody a flashlight? A good, Not one seen by the Navy SEALs, but what I'm talking about <laughs> is a good quality <laughs> flashlight, mm-hmm. one by the front door, one by the back door, one by the fuse panel, one in your car. Mm-hmm. Do What do you every day carry? Do you have a flashlight on you? And you say, well, I got one on my cell phone. It may stop some apps from working, and it also will pull your battery down very quickly. So, you know, for your shopping season, give a good quality flashlight, first aid kit, uh, a portable extinguisher. I always like the guy comes over and he says, I got a new grill. Come over and see my new big green egg. You got a fire extinguisher? No, but you're playing with fire. Why not? Mm-hmm. Same way. I've, one of my neighbors had a boat. I said, you got a first aid kit, which is required by the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. He goes, no, I don't. I said, well, wait till you get a hook in your hand. You're going to need one. You know, same way, the guy goes hunting. He's got a 2,000 rifle that can slay a deer a 1,000 yards away, but you know sooner or later he's going to fall at the damn tree stand, so he might as well have a first aid kit with him. <laughs> so <laughs> true. give it something useful mm-hmm. rather than something frivolous. Right. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Good advice. So when you moved here... Um, so I understand, you know, Lebanon was a big city. Well, not a big city, but bigger compared to Ephrata. Correct. So, and, and what are some differences you saw between, say, Savannah, Lebanon, and Ephrata? One of the biggest things that I saw was this was, and it's kind of hard to describe, one of the things I was contracted to do was bring in community policing. And that is a very difficult hustle in the north. In the south and the midwest where I have consulted and such as that, not a problem. People get it. Uh, up here, because if you look at people's heritage, uh, and I'm not making fun of it, but if you look at a lot of the Slavic countries, German, whatever, they believe in rulification and order. You run your house. We pay taxes for the government to take care of the peripherals. And as I had several people said, so you want us to do your job? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, no, you contribute and we work together and da-da-da-da-da. They don't get it. Now, we Irish, you know, we got it. We, we, we figured that out because community policing, you know, and also working in African-American and the Latino area is not a problem because they understand senses of community and such as that and, and, and blending well. But some of the neighborhoods up here, it is very hard to get because we don't want to associate them folks over there. So it was a hard hustle. Uh, law enforcement up here is a tough hustle because of the Pennsylvania rules and, you know, I always go back to radar. I used to be a radar instructor. It's not that difficult. I could teach Jack Harley how to run radar. Probably not. Well, and, and he would be good at it. But the thing of it is, here, we can't do it. And well, no, such, it's only for the professional police. And, and so <laughs> Pennsylvania State Police. Right. And some of that draconian <laughs> hey, other hey, rules, hey. too, is, makes it difficult. So I think we could do a lot better up here if we, you know, had some, you know. The thing that really got me, though, is when I came up here is a lot of people, I think, have high expectations. And if they've ever been around an agency before that has not served them well, you've got to win them over. But once you win them over, you've got to keep their hearts. And you, so it's, you know, you're only good as your, your last good caper. You're only good as your last good crime. Uh, clearance, that is. Not... You did one. I'm looking at you. But anyway, they, uh, but, you know, these good folks, they're God-fearing people, and, and they support their cops. I mean, it's everything I can do to keep losing weight on my diet, mainly because somebody brought more cookies today. The people Heck bring yeah. cookies. Mm. They bring things to us, and I think they're appreciative as well. They are. They're, they're, they're trying. They don't know what to do or how to, how to make known their, 
their appreciation, but they do try. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back right back with Chief Bill Harvey. Why choose George J. Grove & Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove & Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. Chief, got a question for you. As you well know, oh, did you want to say something first? No, oh, okay. I, I absolutely did not. Go no, ahead. Okay, great. Okay, Jack, uh, you drive. Go ahead, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally good with it. I'm in the back seat. Uh, a lot of people don't know that you uh, attend the uh, the International Association of Fire Chiefs Hazardous Materials Convention every year. Correct. Why is that? It goes back to when I was working at the Savannah Police Academy as a young instructor. And that's before hazmat was really called hazmat. They were called special fires. Mm -hmm. So what had happened was they passed the law, and they said everybody has got to be trained. Uh, every police officer had to be trained in, in, this, in the hazardous materials. And I was a volunteer firefighter at the same time. So the academy director put me in charge of it, and I ended up writing the lesson plan for the great state of Georgia from everybody from the one-man department of the Georgia State Patrol mm. on hazardous material response. And for those to want to really date themselves, I took my own photographs, made the slides, put it in the carousel, and so those remember those. And so I got in hazardous materials on that end. Uh, it was even stranger is that back then, even the Savannah Fire Department occasionally would give me a call and say, come over here and look at this for us. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had an affinity to it. Am I a hazardous uh, mat technician? No. But I understand it. I, under, I know what it's like to, to be there. And also, too, I understand the perils to it. But as far as firefighters go, to me, the, the hazmat operators, to me, are the, like their SWAT team. They are the, they're the technicians, the special operators. And I totally enjoy it because most people don't understand what hazardous materials are mm -hmm. and how prevalent they are. Uh, I always tell people when you go down the road and you get behind a tanker and you see the placard number, to look up in your phone what the placard is and see what you're following. Mm -hmm. This is usually the crap my pants moment where you say, let that truck go on, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> back it down. Yeah, just a little yeah, bit. Uh, pass and get ahead of it. Yeah, back it yeah, down. Yeah. But, no, it's something I've always enjoyed, something mm -hmm. I've always been interested in, and I love being around the hazmat community. Yeah. They're a fun bunch. Yeah, they are. They are. What other talents, skills, and abilities you, nobody knows about but you? Other than being, an, uh, I'm a knife head. I love to collect knives. Knives is my mm. favorite thing, and I'd rather reload than shoot. I love reloading. 
which uh, I'm always trying to make a new concoction to go faster at the barrel. Mm -hmm. But uh, more the biggest thing, too, what most people don't know, I have written and published I have several thousand articles for various, uh, you know, professional journals uh, for this couple of different states, different organizations on police professional training such as this matter, which is a lot of fun. I mean, I'm smarter than I look, but... Uh, but it's kind of interesting to see me. the articles. Well, that's true. <laughs> Chief Harvey and I have something in common. And a few years ago, when we did the day lodge over an effort of you and I talked. Right. Because I'm an ancient Freemason from South Carolina. And I was raised in the Taylor's Lodge, I think it was 345, out of Greenville, South Carolina. Yep. So we talked, uh, I know we talked at length at that lodge meeting about the similarities of our first, second, and third degrees in your state, in, in your area of Savannah, and mine in Greenville, as opposed to coming up here with these Yankees who do <laughs> things so totally different than we do. I would give anything if we could portray the pencil lecture and the penny lecture. And if both of those degrees, well, not degrees, this part of the ceremony was brought up, I think it would burn indelibly in anybody's brain what masonry should be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now that you're looking at me, the pencil lecture. Yes. Oh, I got that one. Do you have it? Oh, oh I did, no, too. Oh, I got it. And I got almost sucked in. And I had an uncle that said, no matter what you do. Don't make eye contact. No. No. <laughs> Don't write anything down. Basically, ah. what happens after you have been oh, on your on your, on your on your EA, yes. uh, you they take you back, you're restored, and the thing, and you come back before the lodge. Depending on the theatrics of the worshipful master, I can only envision Jack doing this one. I would love it. <laughs> but basically, you're brought up, you're escorted up. This is that newly initiated, you know, entered apprentice, you know. Do your sign thing. Okay. <laughs> and on the podium is a piece of paper or a book and a pencil. So the worshipful master says, obviously you've noticed we have a lot of history. You know, you see the books and the ancient writings and such as this. And I'm sure there's something in double, you know, in, you know, just burned into your brain. And, but we want to know that on this historical night in your life, we want you to just jot down what made an impression on you and how, you know, we could keep this, you know, in the records of this lodge. And I'm like, I got this. <laughs> so as I reached to grab the pencil, the master missed my hand with the gavel by a... Nanomillimeter. A well-practiced nanomillimeter. Yeah. The guy who <laughs> escorted me slung me halfway, and not not pulled, not brought back, slung me halfway back. You know, I stayed on my feet. And then it's one of the uh, one of the guys stood up and said, "Worship Master, I signed this man's petition. I have to resign. I am just total." <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, "Oh dear Lord, I'm gonna cry because I didn't humiliate this man." <laughs> And so the virtual master gets in front. He says, you know, he tells you, he says, did you just recall? I want to print, paint, print, paint, stamp, stain, etch, emboss, whatever. And you're sitting there going, <laughs> yes, sir. You know, that's, you, you can't talk because your bottom lip's doing like that. You know? And he says, uh, there's one other brother who so did this. 
I want you to turn around and I want you to stand and face him. Well, when I turned around, about it was a big night that night, and probably I'd say two thirds of the lodge stood up and they all smiled. <laughs> and that was huge because you learned right then. Others have made your mistakes, but they're going to let you learn. But they also not going they will prevent you from doing it. Mm -hmm. Now the penny lecture. You know, they always, I'm going for my master's degree. Here's a penny. Got to have a penny. Everybody gave me a penny. They used to could buy Masonic pennies. that was pennies that actually had the square and compass stamped on it. Mm -hmm. And I think that night when I went on my master's night, I must have had $5 in pennies in my pants because I was going to buy my way through whatever I was getting ready to go through. It didn't work. But anyway, <laughs> uh, when you're brought up, of course, you're not in your... You've been divested of everything mineral and metallic. Poor and penniless Master Mason. And so you're standing there. Do you have anything to make a deposit for the – and you're standing going, no. And then your guide touches you and gives you a penny. And you kind of, you kind of like, uh-huh. And then you give that. And, of course, they gave that penny back to you. But, but these things burn in your mind. And I think those type of impressions <clears> – <throat> remind you of what goes on not the frivolity but the little lessons that are burned in probably the best lesson that i learned and this is probably the biggest masonic tie that i've ever understood ever to happen to me was how i got there i, I made an application to the savannah police department uh one of their corporals was master of the acacia lodge so I, you know, made my application. The little committee came around, and I'm getting ready to start my classes. Now we had to learn the whole schmear, from you know, from soup to nuts. You had to know the whole thing. How am I going to do this? Because I was a sergeant in the army. You know, I had duty. I had rotating schedules, deployments. Well, what happened was, the entire time I was going through, every night I had class. The duty roster was my name was off of it. And I'm like, you know, this is fortuitous. How did this ha occur? And no, I never put things together. <laughs> and nobody ever told me nothing. So I'm just like, okay. So the night that uh, the way we used to do it, they had a big reception room, and all the candidates are sitting there, you know, seven of us. We're all sitting there, big night. That's when they feed. They only feed during then. And I look, and here comes in the post commander, post sergeant major, uh, deputy brigade commander, uh, <laughs> my platoon lieutenant, my first sergeant, and another other couple of assorted of ranks that I, you know, and I'm sitting here going, oh my god. And the post commander came up to me, says Sergeant Harvey, I was a sergeant in MP Corps. Take me to your worshipful master. Off I go. So I go and I introduce him. And of course, I went through in the 70s when it was a little bit more rugged road than this stuff nowadays. Uh, Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> anyway, he said, if anything happens to Sergeant Harvey tonight, we will tell his family and widow it was an Army training accident. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what I take from this discussion is what makes, I think, our show great and what we like about Freemasonry and what we try to bring is is the fun, the socialization. I've learned so much more tonight about Freemasonry and brotherhood with those stories and watching you guys legitimately enjoying the story than 
sitting through a boring meeting. That's like, why we do this podcast, right? I mean, I, yeah. I mean, this is we. we oh, okay. This is where I really learn. I make friends. I get, you know, I feel closer to other Masons by having these kind of conversations. Yep. And I, I just, I just wish we could do more of that in the body of the Open Lodge when the room's tiled. No, you have no, the friendship. You have to have forty-five minutes of minutes, <laughs> and then pie, and that's all. That's. <laughs> I used to be a secretary. You got to have at least thirty minutes of secretarial reading. <laughs> I, I feel like the minutes are getting distributed, that, and, and that's like the common hazing that brings you all together right. is the minutes. That's but it. no, the one thing one thing I will say is this: one thing I have been very fortunate, just like Ken was bringing up earlier, uh, I have but I have taught from uh, Ireland to Alaska. I have uh, had an opportunity to travel and teach and work with you know various governments and organizations and such as that and yeah i wear a ring usually or whatever every, every now and i'll slip up and say a word which everybody go "Ooh, well where do you get that from you know and then later on that afternoon i didn't have to go to dinner by myself because someone said you're a brother and so if you've ever been in a you know in a city teaching for a week and you're by yourself in a hotel you can only look at you know wheel of fortune so long mm -hmm. and so but at least i have i've been invited to lodges or whatever and that's one thing i always like about the fraternity because you always have a brother wherever you go uh mm -hmm. they they find you they seek you out kind of like i learned from the night when the commanding general showed up but I've also went to places where, not because I wore a ring or because maybe someone said, hey, Harvey's coming to town, check this guy out, brother so-and-so, get over and meet him at the airport or whatever. And I've never been alone, which is huge. And I think that's what young men should know about why do we join a fraternity is because no one wants to be alone. You've got someone around you at all times. Yeah, I know we um, – Jack was telling the story about how he went to Italy, and there was a brother from Italy at the airport. Show, not, at the airport? not quite. Not quite. Well, there was some setup. Oh, wait. There was, there was a setup, and, and um, I said here on the podcast that I, I thought it would be really cool to visit a lodge in Italy while I was over there. And two days later, we got an email message from our brother Nick Lane in Canada who's connecting me to, uh, to a brother in – Rome, who's connecting me to a brother in Florence, who's going to meet me in Florence and take me to the lodge there. So that was, yeah, it, that's the kind of thing that you're talking about. It's just yeah, it's, and then we have our breakfast on Thursdays with men between twenty and ninety, right? And it's just, it's nice. Like there's, I, I have this discussion with my wife now. She's younger and healthier than I am, so I doubt that I'm going to outlast her. <laughs> but so if, does she, <laughs> you know. It, She's it, got he the knows actual CPR, earlier today, but she, she knows. Right? Yeah. But, you know, in that case, if I'm ever older and alone, I'm not going to be bored. I have something I can do every night, somewhere I can have a meal with friends every Come to single Masonic day. Come Village. Right. And, You'll and never be alone. It's funny because we talk about, and not to interrupt Bill, but I will, the, the, um, we talk about the value proposition of Freemasonry and that, you know, people have to believe that they're going to get more out of it than they put into it. You can't put a value on that. No. You, you can't put... You, you can't. It's impossible. I have a spreadsheet that has all the values. Uh, do you? <laughs> I okay. do a spreadsheet. Let me tell you what you can do with your spreadsheet. <laughs> the, the, the only time it never... It didn't pay off was when I was gambling one time in Vegas. And the casino manager 
from the uh, oh, horrible hotel in Vegas, like where they play like rock, paper, scissors, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, they, he saw my ring. And the casino manager was like, oh, how you doing, brother? He asked me, and then he gave me some vouchers for free meals for the whole week. How long are you staying here? And he wrote on a tablet. He gave me free meals for the whole week. Nice. So meanwhile, I lost $3,000 in his casino instead of <laughs> losing it in anybody else's casino because nice. he fed me. Clever uh-huh. clever play. So that was that casino where they had the chicken. Where the chicken poops on that square you that's bet on, one. that's it. Yeah. yeah. Cow pie bingo. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take another quick break, and we'll come back with uh, Chief Bill Harvey. Unlocking Symbols by Symbologist Michelle Snyder. Michelle Snyder. Snow White Unlocked. The tale of Snow White was recorded by the Brothers Grimm and made popular by Walt Disney. It tells of a princess whose kingdom was invaded by a wicked queen. The heir to the crown, Snow White, was to be executed. She found refuge in a forest with seven dwarves, yet the queen still made several attempts to kill her. This story is rooted in prehistory, and it whispers to us of alchemy, metallurgy, and astronomy. Historian Duncan Ensman traces it back more than 6,000 years during times of relentless invasions. In this tale, the dwarves are actually the main characters. They represent the villages where refugees fleeing invasions went to live. There were seven dwarves, a significant number, alluding to the seven planets of antiquity, seven days of the week, and the seven metals that were used in metallurgy at the time. Copper, gold, lead, tin, iron, silver, and mercury. In the story, the queen's magic mirror tells her of Snow White's beauty, fueling the jealousy of the queen. This tells us they had a lens, a refractive telescope. Those who had such tools were powerful, and those who knew how to use them were sought after. Other secrets revealed in the elements of Snow White are found in the ways in which she almost dies. She bites a poisoned apple, she uses a poisoned comb, and once her bodice laces are so tight she cannot breathe. These are all specific. The apple represents death by organic poisons like cyanide. The comb alludes to death by metal, arsenic in the water. The laces represent death by airborne gases. The suggestion of laces and their importance in this story dates to Ice Age weavers making yarn and thread for textiles more than 14,000 years ago. Knowing the time and place of a story is part of the golden key. Tales about hunger usually date to an ice age or many ice ages, whereas times of plenty and large forests date to the warmer, more abundant times, such as the grand climate optimum of 6,000 to 3,000 BC, when such vegetation could finally grow. The forests in which the dwarves lived cannot be more than 8,000 years old. Oral tradition carries within it much forgotten, destroyed, or lost history. Mothers have taught their children with stories since there have been mothers, and these stories are passed on through the generations. This is what makes the realm of folklore so very compelling. There are not only moral and character lessons to be learned, there are haunting shadows of history laced throughout these wonder tales. For more like this, get a copy of my book, Symbology, Fairy Tales Uncovered. 
in it you will find pieces of your golden key. Next time we will unlock the secrets of a magical beast we all know and love, the unicorn. everyone Masonic Light News News not fit to print In Masonic News today the Grand Lodge of New York has formally announced that it has chartered a new Grand Lodge of Lebanon The Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania reacted immediately by constituting a Grand Lodge of Buffalo The Grand Lodges of Reading and Harrisburg are equally displeased and have formerly chartered a Grand Lodge of Brooklyn and the Bronx, respectively. The Grand Lodge of Hoboken could not be reached for comment. That's the Masonic news. So mote it was. Oh, God. Oh. Oh. So that, that was the news. Oh, yeah, that was the news. Uh, I, I was speechless. Wow. Grand Lodge of Hay Oh, Lord. Oh, and you also heard uh, Michelle, Michelle Snyder. Snyder, symbologist. Yes. She's like Tom She's Hanks. She's Larry's man crush. Uh, well, crush, anyway. Larry's, Larry's a man. Yours. She's a crush. Yours. Uh, she, no, she just blew my brain apart. Oh, she she does that. It, it, her yeah, segments are, awesome. are, are just out of this world. Really, they are. Like, literally. Michelle, I know you're listening. We love you. So, Chief, we're going to ask you a couple quick questions here. Uh -oh. On the fly. Uh-oh. What do you think about Fair Week? <sighs> <laughs> now you got an Next question. Cut to, cut to the I guess, I guess for, our, for our listeners, um, the, the Borough of Ephrata, historically, I think it's the oldest fair in the county. 100 years. 100 years they've been having a fair on Main Street. And there's that, Main Street is, by the way, US 322. It's a major highway <laughs> through the guts of Pennsylvania. And it alternates between church booth and food. Church booth, food, carny. So, so tell us, is that any kind of a challenge for you? Uh, it is a challenge because one thing, when I was first hired here, the, uh, the mayor told me, he says, you can have off any day you need to. Except Fair Week. You will be here all Fair Week 24 long. 24-7. 24 <laughs> Needless to say, I will say this. The first year uh, that I was here, we had uh, electrical activity the night of the uh, uh, parade and such, and it was kind of a mess. And at first they had told me, oh, we handle this ourselves. We know what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> so at that time, me also being a certified emergency manager and all such as I do, so now we have a very intricate fair plans. We have a uh, incident safety plans. We have shelters for electrical activity when it reoccurs and all of these sorts of things. Matter of fact, it's a rather complex thing. Uh, it's a year-round plan. It's 24-7. I am proud to say that our fair plans have been used as exemplaries. Part of the product that I produce uh, has been used as exemplaries in other states uh, and how to handle a uh, larger event for medium-sized town. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a work in progress always. Any other, any other specific challenges that are unique to Ephrata? 
No, it's not specific to us. We are, I always say, in the crosshairs because, you know, for your listeners, you know, we have Reading to the north, Lancaster City to the south, uh, basically Philly and uh, to the east and Lebanon to the west, which is also Harrisburg. Mm -hmm. We just throw in York and Baltimore because they're close and they're fun too. And so (laughs) between having 322, 222, 272, uh, we're in – the ultimate crosshairs of uh, other people's mirth that kind of fall this way. <laughs> so uh, mirth. And I'm trying. I'm trying to be nice, brother Jack. <laughs> but there's an keeps, inside joke there. Yeah. <laughs> but it it keeps us it keeps us on our toes. Uh, we try to protect you know protect our town, protect our area. But uh, we have a lot of out, outside influences. I mean, heck, even you got here. So uh, <laughs> there's right. a there's a lot of eyes on 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 that fair that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. There's 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 a lot of eyes walking around and just just guys in t-shirts and guys in shorts and we've had guys pro- in uniform. But we've had protests here. We've had uh, animal rights protests. We've had uh, far right wing protests. We've had uh, open carry protests. Uh, we have. It's always a gambit. Uh, you never know who's coming. So, you, yeah, you, it's a microcosm. You see a little everything. Well, my, my wife called it out, like, shortly after we moved here. It, it's a small town with big city issues. True. It, it, it's, yeah. You know, it really is. We've got the same issues everybody else has. We've got, you know, juveniles, and we've got drugs, and we've got, you know, abuse, and we've got all – we've got everything. If we were, you know, if you go back 50, 60 years ago when, like, only one out of three people had a car, we wouldn't have had this issue. But now everybody's so mobile, and the criminality uh, 30 minutes away can come here so quickly. Sure. And that's from all these perimeter cities that we talked about. So your wife was spot on. That's an observation we have as well. Yep. You mentioned about your incident action plan. Just want to let you know, do you know the National Fire Academy mentions that? I was right. down there taking a, the course. Right. And one of the things, too, is this. Now, with the new emergency management planning, anytime you have an event and they have over 5,000 people, you've got to have the plans. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of smaller towns and fairs and whatever they're having uh, going without these. And it's kind of like running with scissors. Sooner or later, it's going to get up with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, our next big event's coming is the, uh, I hate to use the term, but Black Friday, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is grown from 20 people singing jingle bells nine years ago to last year we probably had 7,000 people plus or more and this year it's going to be even larger is that just shopping downtown or what is i'm not familiar it's a uh it's an event of the lighting of the christmas tree it's uh the bell snickle it's the mr and mrs santa claus um, the downtown merchants uh and some of the other organizations get together it's the only one in the county it's a family event because if you go to some of the larger cities, you know, they have pubs and all like that, or it's more of an adult. We're the only ones that still say, bring your kids to meet Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Or if they're, you know, if they're little heathens, we got the bell snickle waiting for them as well. But they, uh, <laughs> being a family event like that, it just makes it huge. Mm-hmm. Did you get much resistance from government or private industry on uh, developing an incident action plan? I did, yes, and I did, no. Um, I think a lot of people understood it because when I started mentioning insurance carriers and then also to showing them the state and federal requirements, uh, they uh, relinquished power and basically, you know, put it 
on us to, to handle and manage these things. And it's worked well. It's really worked well. I just wish other emergency managers was lucky as I am at times. That's a good point. Well, I'll invite you. On the, fir- the second Saturday in December every year, I do a fundraiser for the Lancaster City Mounted Police and Canine Units called the Santa Stumble. And it just so happens to be the same exact day the Grand Lodge Quarterly will be in the city of Lancaster. Mm. So I will be having, it's less than 5,000 people. So it'll be about 4,000 people that may or may not 4, be- 4,497. That may or may not be drinking in costume all oh, around downtown while the grandmaster is trying to uh have a session so it'll be fun fez claws there yeah there and uh you get a dollar off if you have a fez but all the proceeds go to the uh, the canines of the mounted police for the Lancaster city police department now i think i think that the quarterly will be done but I, I i don't i'm assuming that there's a banquet afterwards like usual that's when the fun will I, I don't Coincide. know where they're going to eat that's I not going to have... Get a, I think Masonic Light should have a table at the banquet so that we can just have some place to go to eat after. Mm-hmm. The wife told me I have to wear my gorilla costume to the Santa Stumble. It'll be warm. Yes. Nice. And a scarf. Oh... Well, Chief, we are very grateful that you came here. I, I assume we're, we're at a point where we're, we're getting close. Up, are we? All right. Yeah. I, I won't wrap it up yet. Well, Larry is actually in the bathroom. Yeah, the one time Larry the really has to go Larry to the bathroom, he doesn't announce and it. Is, and he doesn't announce it. All right. So should I make like a breaking gesture so that we can take a break? No. Was, Let's yeah. thank our sponsors. We'll talk through it. Let's thank our sponsors, sponsors once again. Sponsors, Pete, what do you mean sponsors? Well, like uh, MasonicScarves.com. Really? Um, I brought Chief Harvey a wonderful gift this evening. Uh, one of my, uh, one of my, a scarf that's not on the website, but I brought him a gift. Um, but we have plenty of Masonic scarves on the website. Larry, what pit- what website would that be? MasonicScarves.com. Ah, very clever. Yes, and uh, and and if you were cold but still wanted to smoke a cigar in the courtyard at Weathered Vineyards Wine Tasting Room, you could smoke a DNS cigar cigar from DNS Cigars. At Weathered Vineyards. And you can smoke a cigar, have a glass of wine at Weathered Vineyards, and read The Red Serpent. And if you get cold, you could go inside and close your window from George J. Grove and Associates. And there's nothing better when drinking wine than pairing it with fine chocolates from Intermezzo by Stephanie. So we just sucked up to everybody who's ever given us money. (laughs) So we love you all. Yes. Um, One thing... um, it, we were we were making the observation that that this show is about regular guys talking with regular guys about masonry. Um, if you're out there listening and you've got an interesting story, or there's somebody in your lodge that might be interesting for us to talk to, just drop us a note on Facebook. Let us know. Um, go to uh, Masonic Light Podcast on our Facebook page and send us a message, or uh, or or call the call the phone line. That's one, yeah, we have a phone line that's on yeah, our Facebook page. One three one five five nine Mason. One three one five five nine Mason. Five nine Mason is the phone. So just reaching out to you guys. If you've got an interesting story you want to tell, or if you've s- somebody in your lodge that has an interesting story, let us know, um, and we'll uh, we'll check it out. In the meantime, uh, we're still broke. Um, so anybody that wants to donate money, there are countless ways to do that, including buying a scarf from our chief. Scarfmonger, uh, Masonic scarves. If yeah, you, I think uh, if, if you make a, a thirty dollar donation, and I'll repost the uh, 
on a link on our Facebook page. Uh, if you make a $30 donation to Masonic Scarves, I will send you a scarf for free. So you still get, well, anyways, basically you're donating $15 and you're getting a scarf. <laughs> it's a free scarf for $15, for $30. Yes. Nice. Yeah, it, I hope so. some people scarf up scarves. They are they are uh, they're scarf they're beautiful scarves mm-hmm. actually. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just came up with that wacky idea one day and, and nice. made them. So well played. All right. Anything else, Jason? No. Let's go around the horn and go home. Do it. All right. Um, I let's don't start with Pete this time. Whew. I I don't even know what I have going on masonically. <laughs> um, we're wrapping up. Well, the big project I have going on right now is. Uh, the, pe- the the Colonial Grotto Association has about five hundred dollars in their checking account, and we want to f- fold and just merge with the Pennsylvania Grotto Association. Well, I got sent five pages of bylaws of how I have to go through this dog and pony show. Nice to give five hundred dollars to someone. <laughs> so I'm in the process of writing letters to every monarch and every secretary of twenty different grottos, asking them. You know, it, it's it's painful. So that's that's my job right now, and that's all I'm thinking about. Nice, Larry. You doing anything in the next Wake couple up, weeks? Larry. Uh, probably, but I'm not remembering what it is. All right, well, you work <laughs> on your you work on your news. <laughs> you work on your news. Why call Kenny? Ken. Yes. K dog. All righty, I'm going to uh, go dark. I don't mean that in an ethnic way, but uh, <laughs> I'm taking it easy for a couple of days. I am masonically wore out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> going to too many events. Uh, but I will be making pies for the Dyslexic Center a couple days this week. And then, of course, on November the 1st, Thursday, we have uh, a lodge banquet. Ooh. Looking forward to that. And by the, time yeah. you, by the time you hear this, will be that was 18 days ago. Yeah, yeah. We and you have November a date. You have well, a considering date where the microphone right? is yeah, in relation to his mouth, sure. you might not even hear it. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it does talk sideways. It kind of works like that. That's my southern growl. <laughs> Uh, Chief Bill, anything Masonically or otherwise in, in uh, fascinating going on in the next couple weeks for you? Considering what's coming on with the dates coming up, you know, I think when we're at uh, Thanksgiving, we remember our brothers who are sick. We're bro- our brothers who are in need a phone call. So when you're around with your friends and family, reach out to one another. Mm. Here, here. Well, so thank you, brother. Jack Harley. I don't know. Nothing? All right, good. Jason. No. Well, at least Chief Bill appreciates when the show's coming out, but uh, we would have already had both of our reunions in the Valley of Harrisburg and the Valley of Reading, and uh, I'm sure they went swimmingly, but uh, later on in November and December, state of meetings, open installations, be going in as junior warden in, uh, in mid-December, uh, well, getting my oath uh, and sworn in in mid-December, and uh, of course we have the Grand Lodge quarterly December 8th. And uh, it starts to get a little quiet. And it'll be surrounded by about 4,000 possibly intoxicated revelers. And possibly, possibly. A lot of Santa's out on the road. But, uh, yeah, as we move into the holidays, things start to get a little a little quiet for a change. And uh, that's about it. Larry, take us home. Cue the chickens. Oh, uh, yeah. Here we go. Well, mm. many thanks again to our oh, guest on, tonight. Oh, second. There we go. There's the chicken. Many thanks again to our guest tonight, uh, Chief Bill Harvey, Effort of Chief of Police. Uh, to our newsworthy host and news director, Jack Harley. To our producer, who always cleans up the sausage factory and actually <laughs> makes us look really good. 
in spite of, and our guests will say they can't believe the show turns out this way. Uh, to our guest, uh, K-Dog himself, which we're waiting for his reports from home. And uh, I, I don't really have anything else funny to say tonight because I'm kind of in a, a picky mood. So basically, I'm going to say, hey, folks, thanks for listening. This is Larry Maris. Uh, Pete Ruggieri on the internet. Jason Lewis. Jack Harley. Chief Bill Harvey. And uh, uh, who am I? K-Dog. Oh, K-Dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. <laughs> Bye, everybody. I think we may have a new voiceover guy over here. <laughs> Good Lord. You've been listening to the Masonic Light Podcast with brothers Pete Ruggieri, Larry Maris, Jason Lewis, Jack Harley, and me, your dulcet-toned announcer, Brian Hill. Listen to all our episodes on our website, www.masoniclight.com, or via your favorite podcasting service.